Kia ora, I'm Georgia. I'm Catherine. And I'm Molly. And you're listening to... Pimpod! Hello, and welcome to episode number two. How are you both? Good. Yep, I'm good. Yeah, me too. Good. Where are you two both recording from? I'm currently recording from Wanaka, actually. Nice. Lovely Wanaka. How is it down there? Oh, it's so lovely. It was was actually a nice temperature today. It was about 25. We've had a few days of 28, 29 degrees. Wow. Really? Which has been nice, but also a bit of a nightmare with the kids going to bed. But they've been been, been really good, actually. Being lots of swims in the lake and just... Yeah, it's been so nice. Oh, nice. Is it busy? Really busy. Well, close to New Year's was really busy and it's definitely quieted down a bit now. And you were down in Arrowtown, weren't you? I was, yep. I was down in Arrowtown over Christmas. It was so lovely. The weather... Actually, I looked at the weather before we went on um, Met Service and it said it was going to be really shit. And I was like, oh, God, it's always shit when we go. And um, and we were pleasantly surprised because it wasn't shit. It was quite nice. And there's so many good places to eat and drink in Arrowtown, aren't there? Yeah, except we didn't really get to experience any of that with the kids. (laughs) We went to the Cookie Time store. You know how they've got one of those in Queenstown? Go in and it's like decked out in cookie time things and you can order like you can get hot cookies can't you yeah and like s'mores and things delicious what's a hot cookie a hot cookie (laughs) it's like a hot cookie (laughs) (laughs) like just a cookie that's fresh out of the oven yeah yeah oh yeah how good oh we had ferg burger actually oh how was it (gasps) So good. I've never had it. Oh, God, it's so <gasps> good, isn't it? Really is, yeah. Worth the hype. There are so many great places to eat, like Wanaka, Queenstown, Arrowtown. Yeah. Last night we had a child-free night. It was like our first one since Flo was born. Going out for dinner. So Ooh. we went to Kika and Wanaka. Just because we know it's so good, it was unreal. Oh, that sounds delicious. Is that, what's it called? Mm. Death row? Love food. Like death row meal? Is that a thing? Is that what it's called? Like what you'd oh. have? Yeah. Oh, like yeah. your last meal yeah. Yeah. before I'd you die? Oh, yeah. like the tasting menu at Kika. Yeah. Oh. So good. Oh, I've never really thought about what I'd have. That's a great question. I'm so indecisive. You'd go for a hash brown from McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> I'd go for 20 hash browns from McDonald's. No. <laughs> No, I don't know what I'd have. KFC, maybe. What would you have, Catherine? Um, probably, you know, at Riverside Market in Christchurch. Yes, there's this amazing mm. Vietnamese stand that does the, you know, the banh mi. Oh, yeah, they yeah. are amazing. Yeah. They're so good. We probably have one for breakfast <laughs> once a week because they're Yum. so good Delicious. and like fresh spring rolls as well on the side with prawns in Yum. with a moustache cookie pie for dessert oh yes yep. I love moustache cookie pies so what is on top for you this week I'll start with Georgia oh with us it's just like keeping a routine with the kids on holiday really mm. yeah Florence has been pretty good she's actually yeah sleeping reasonably well just with harry really like just like keeping a routine around meal times and things like that i think mm. we didn't bring his high chair down we brought his little mountain buggy clip on high chair which is great but he's like kind of learned how to climb out of it and he's just been a little bit out of whack i think but i mean that happens when you go on holiday right yeah that mm. yep. like thank goodness his sleep hasn't seemed to have been affected Meal times are really hard outside of your own home, I think. Yeah, and I think it's because, you know, it's a beautiful evening, so you want to eat outside or, Mm. you know, at home we all eat together. Whereas when we're on holiday, we don't necessarily want to be all eating together at 5.30. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just just different, really. Honestly, fussy eating with kids. So challenging. Oh, God, yeah. Mm, Yeah, yeah, especially Mm. when you're around other people as well, I think. Yes, I think that is actually, that is what's quite hard. And it's just, I think it's just when there's so much going on. We're going through that. You know, and if everyone else is doing something, he doesn't want to be sitting down having to eat 
his meal. Yeah. Is he a big fan of the barbecue? Mm. He does love the barbecue. Yep. That is what's great about summer, isn't it? The fact you can just barbecue. They love like a corn on the cob, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, we haven't had that. Good idea. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited that um, corn on the, like corn is back. Yeah. It is delicious. Off slightly off topic. We had some French friends come to visit us a couple of years ago and we did some corn on the cob on the barbecue and they were like, this is my terrible French accent. Uh, what is this shit? it's corn on the cob like it's great you put butter on it and they were horrified that we ate it and they were like in france only pigs eat corn on the cob you can't even digest it why would you eat it really well it's a you don't do Hmm. you no it comes out whole yeah exactly yeah it comes out how it goes in but it tastes so good lathered in butter but that actually i was just gonna say is it just the butter and the salt and pepper that tastes so good well corn's all right i mean it does annoy me how it gets stuck in your teeth what about you marley what's on top well at the moment i feel like this is the second week something sleep related for us but just dealing with some mila has been having some pretty terrible night terrors each evening yeah, it's, it's just so it's it's actually an inconvenience because it happens <laughs> just as I go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, so like 10:30 most nights she wakes up and she like just screams. Like not as in like you know how you might say to someone, "Oh my god, my child's screaming." Like this is actual like screaming, screaming. And she almost looks possessed in the little um in my monitor because her eyes obviously infrared thing her eyes glow um and she screams and she kicks the wall and she'll even like she'll stand up on her bed and throw her pillow and her blankets off the bed you go if you go in there and try and comfort her she literally just loses the plot like she kicks and screams and like yells at us is she awake i don't think so that's so bizarre do they outgrow them i think so i did a bit of research (laughs) classic marley (laughs) um and yeah they do outgrow them apparently and sometimes like different foods can set them off apparently Mm. some people said or like temperature or sleep quality let's hope it's not corn on a cob that sets it off yeah yeah well Well, isn't it cheese Gives you nightmares. Maybe. Oh, she doesn't eat that much cheese, actually. She's not having, like, a strong Stilton or Camembert, like a strong blue before bed. (laughs) Some blue and some crackers? No. (laughs) I don't think so. I'm just trying to get through it at the moment, really. Yeah, what about you, Catherine? What's on top? So, what's on top for uh, me at the moment is that we are moving out of our house this weekend that is quite full on quite frankly quite consuming really consuming yeah packing up your whole house but trying to keep some normality for the children I think is the tough thing because you don't really want to Mm. you use lots of the things every in your house every single day with kids don't you so we kind of need them right up to the last minute Mm, but also just physically packing with two little unhelpful helpers (laughs) that is challenging definitely oh yeah yeah. i hate packing and i've never done it with two kids either so you are amazing absolutely and the boys definitely know there's something going on so it's just trying to Mm. keep things as normal as possible for them have you talked have you talked to them about what's happening yes yeah i have i talked to hugh about it quite a bit so that he's um He's aware of it, Prepared. yeah. And whenever we go out for yeah. the day, he, he'll he always say when we're out, are we going back to our house now? Can we go back to my Aww. home? Aww. So I think he's he yeah. just doesn't, obviously doesn't understand time, so he's not sure when it's happening. Like, I think he's not sure if mm. we're just going to spring it on him. Like, one day we go out for brunch and we just never go home again. Yeah. <laughs> right up. enough of our rambling. Um, let's get into the episode and hear from our two very exciting guests. Our guests for today are the wonderful Carly and Georgina from Life of a Kiwi Midwife. Carly and Georgina started their Instagram page in 2021 as a place to share Kiwi midwifery and the maternity journey. They wanted to share the good, bad and challenges of life as a midwife, as well as educating people about everything they need to know when birthing in New Zealand. 
thanks for joining us. Can you tell us a bit about yourselves, who you are and what you're about? Hi, I'm Carly. Um, I am a midwife. I've been a midwife for 15 years. I am currently working as an LMC midwife, so that means caseloading. I have my own patients, um, but I've also worked for 12 years at Auckland Hospital um, in a couple of different positions, but mostly working in labour and birthing units. Um, I'm Georgina, (laughs) so I've been a midwife for five years. I've been in an LMC for four years, and I've just become a core for about like two months. I just recently switched. Cool. What made the decision for you to switch to a core midwife? Um, I think it was just a little bit of burnout. So the normal lasting rate of an LMC is about five years, according to the most recent research. Um, But yeah, I was just exhausted, and I was really, really for a break, and you know, have my own time and. I think what set me off is I missed my mum's 60th and I thought, you know, I just don't want to keep missing all my family events and I just needed like six months. I'll probably return. I'll always return. I'm I'm really attached to my returns. So I get like, I send them to Carly, but I'm a bit, I'm still like half in the game. <laughs> you still want something oh. to do with them. Yeah, I can imagine just not having that downtime, yeah. guaranteed downtime mm. must be so difficult. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it does get, you know, you just want to have a day off sometimes. Mm. And then Carla, you made the switch the other way. So (laughs) what was your reasoning for that? So I had worked in delivery unit for yeah about 11 years at that point. And I started doing a bit more work for private obstetricians and doing on-call stuff. And it gets to a point when you have been a core midwife for a while, that unless you can get into a charge midwife job, which were very, very rare, they weren't coming up, you kind of were stuck doing the same thing. And I kind of felt like I wanted a new challenge. And I had done like an LMC position earlier in my career when I was a lot younger, pre-children, and I really loved it. Um, and I had the push from a certain Georgina who was saying, come out, come out, come out. So, um, yeah, I just thought I actually would like a challenge and a bit more of a different challenge than when I do core nice. midwifery. And so, yeah, I just made the choice to make a switch, and that's what I've been doing for the last couple of years now. Cool. So yeah. for, we'll start with you, Carly. What does your kind of day-to-day look like? Yeah, so my days are different every day. Like you can never have consistency as an LMC midwife, but I try to have um, a day where I do antenatal appointments. I'd have a day or two where I have postnatal uh, appointments where I go to people's houses and check on them. And then in between that, there's admin, there's um, you know referrals, there's catching up with people, there's booking appointments. And then on top of that, there's births. So I have to squeeze my births in there as well. So like today, for example, I have seen nine women at home and in the hospital and at birth care, variety of different wow. places. And then I've come home and I've done a couple of hours of admin, like catching up with referrals, giving results, all that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, now I'm waiting for babies. Oh my goodness. Gosh. So busy. So busy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I am a busy LMC. Not all LMCs are as busy as me. Um, I'm a busier LMC yeah. for sure. How many women do you tend to take on per month? Um, it depends on the month. It depends mm. on if it's Christmas or not. Um, yeah. So, but on an average month, somewhere between six and eight women. Yeah. It just depends. There might be a couple more one month. There might be a month where you have a couple of less. But we're so so busy that you easily mm. end up taking what you feel comfortable with, and then a couple extra if you mm. get really um, overbooked. Yeah. 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 And yeah, then, so Georgina, what does your day look like in compared to Carly's? Um, so I do three 12-hour shifts, so I normally do three night shifts in a row, um, so I've just come off them, so today's my rest day, and then Friday night I'm going back onto night shifts. Mm-hmm. So normally it's kind of different, so some days it's quite quiet and you just you know have one woman to look after, and other times you know, you're running from room <laughs> to room to room, so most of the time as core staff you're doing the inductions, you're working with community women that come in that don't have LMCs, and you do the labour care for them. Um, or you just go second and help all the other midwives. So you end up sometimes you're delivering like all these other different babies or you're just helping of cesarean sections or like um, high-risk women. It's a lot of HDU care at Auckland Hospital. So women with cardiac conditions or, you know, some severe health complications. And you do a lot of um, early antenatal care of sick women as well. So it's quite different. Yeah, amazing that, you know, you're both in the same profession, but it can be so different. Mm, yeah, so yeah. different. Mm. Yeah. But also cool yeah. that you've both experienced both. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say were the top perks to either of the two jobs? Ooh, you go, Georgina. Uh, core, definitely, I think, controlling 
your life a little bit more. So, you know, being able to actually book time off sick leave is amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to get that again. Building up my KiwiSaver is quite nice. Um, but, yeah, just the control over what I do. And, you know, I can do – I don't have to always do night shifts. I just choose to do them. You know, you can sort of pick and choose and do – I just did Monday oh, – Tuesday to Thursday-ish. And then I don't have to work, you know, if I don't want to. Yeah. So it's quite nice. So I can go yeah. away for a weekend. I guess perks of LMC – um, for me, there's two parts to it. One is the continuity of care. I love the fact that I know my women, I get to meet them from the very early pregnancy stage and then I have them all the way to when they're four to six weeks postnatal. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, as much as my life is a little chaotic when you don't know when you're going to get called in, I actually can schedule my time a little bit um, with when I see people how many times I see people um, so that I can see my family and so that I can have downtime with them. And if you work in a good practice, you can usually have some downtime, cover each other, making sure you get to your events, making sure you get downtime as well. Mm. But yeah, it is tricky. Mm. Do you have a backup midwife? So then if you take a weekend off, (laughs) <laughs> she's currently sitting here <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. so um i work in a practice there's three of us um so there was myself gina lisa and georgina Georgina's doing a bit more core work now so that she's not as available to me um but yeah i i work with midwives but the thing is with auckland midwives we're all one big like family basically mm. so you can call any midwife and be like can you help me out and 90 percent of the time they'll say yep where do you need oh, me what do, what do you need me to do lovely. so that's the really amazing part yeah. about it yeah yeah that's such a great network yeah i think that's like that any place in new zealand to be honest yeah. Like, I know, like, one of my mums had to go and stay up with her family up north, and I went, I can't drive all the way up there to go and do my postnatal visit, that's, that's too far away, and I was able to put a message out to one of the mid, or to all the midwives in Auckland, say, hey, can anyone go and do these visits up north for me, and straight away, within minutes, somebody said, yep, I'll do them for you, no problem, oh, and I'm like, great, nice. perfect. That's incredible, yeah. that's so yeah, really is. Is. that is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I have to say as well... I, coming from the UK, I could not believe how amazing the LMC model is in New Zealand. It's yeah. just incredible. We are super, super lucky here in New Zealand. Very lucky. And I don't think people realise how lucky we have it here. Yeah. And how no. very easily we could lose it if we don't get support for it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's definitely worth fighting for. Absolutely. I um, mm. saw a post on Instagram today from someone and they said... Did anyone else cry all the way home from their six-week check? The one where yeah. you're like, see you later. Um, yep. And so many people were saying, yeah, it felt like they went through a breakup. Yeah, <laughs> I literally life. had that comment today. Yeah. One of my girls said that to me today. She's like, it feels like we're breaking up. I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. You can still call me. Oh. I'm still around. Yeah. But it is. I, it does feel like you that. You just create such a lovely bond, like a relationship with your midwife. Yeah, that was one bonus having kids close together, wasn't it, Catherine? Catherine and I actually had the same midwife. Um, we got to spend so much time with her, and now I'm I'm really missing her again. But I'll mm. wait wait a bit longer for another baby. I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's definitely a, um, it's on both sides as well. We really bond with our um, families, and we really bond with the babies. And so it is a big thing when we all leave and go, well, I'm not going to see you again till the next baby. I always tell my mums, please keep me up to date. I love getting updates. I love getting Mm. photos. So yeah, I think we all as midwives, we all leave a little piece of ourselves with our women and our, and our families. So yeah, Mm. we all miss them. It's just one, one big extended family you have with all of your babies. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you end up running into them at the supermarket and and when you're out in the shops and things as well, which is so nice because then you get to see everybody again. And New Zealand is tiny, so we have, you know, it's two degrees of separation. So whoever I'm looking after has been, you know, knows someone else I've looked after. So they tell me or show me photos of babies that have uh, grown up that have been previously with me. So it's really nice. On that, a lactation consultant once said to me um, when I went into a session with her and I kind of got my boob out to start feeding the baby and she went, oh, yes, sorry, I remember. Yep, tongue tie and all of that. And I was like, oh, how, how did it just come to you? And she said, oh, I just recognise women by their nipples. <laughs> what? Oh, my God. And, and she said, I bet your midwife's the same. I bet she recognises women no. by their vaginas. No, no chance. 
I don't remember any oh, vaginas. Yeah. You might as well show me a foot at that point. It's, it's not the same. Definitely don't recognize people mm. from their vaginas. Good to know. No. Definitely a birth story can, if I'm not remembering someone, if they tell me a birth story, that usually will trigger my memory. Mm. And I'll go, oh, I know exactly who you are now. Yeah. 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 That's funny. Yeah. Oh, okay. Definitely don't remember vaginas. Good no. to know. It's like getting yeah. a Brazilian. <laughs> so kind of thinking about the start of pregnancy journey how soon do you think people should start looking for an LMC we always joke yeah the second you pee on the stick the second you find out we are so short at the moment and we have been for years but it is incredibly tough getting an LMC midwife so we joke that you but it is half serious you need to get in there as soon as you know and how like how would you suggest people find midwives just on that find your midwife website go on find your midwife and then it's hard because you want to find the midwife that suits you best but you know there's a huge shortage there's only about 3,100 midwives in New Zealand at the moment for the whole birthing population so you know you're in like a race against time so I reckon go on the find your midwife website see where you want to birth because not all midwives do you know hospital care home birthing kind of read their blog see if it's the vibe that you're going for give them a call or like a text see read their profile definitely read their profile and see if they want texts or emails or phone calls because we're all very different and what we like um and then have a chat with them ask them questions they'll ask you questions and it's literally just a fight it's like a first date it's like going on tinder but for midwives (laughs) so it's just trying to find the one that you like you click with and you can change midwives as well I think that's important for women Mm -hmm. to know like if you don't click you can change we don't get offended like it's not personal we know everyone's so different and they might not like our personality it's so good to hear and also ask your friends as well like if you are similar to Mm -hmm. your friends say who did you use who did you like why did they why did you like them that's a lot of how our referrals happen if it's word of mouth so ask around and like Georgina said it's really important if you if you think you want to have a conversation, to be really honest with the midwife. Tell them what you're looking for so that way they can be like, mm. yep, that's totally what I do. That's what I like as well. Or they can go, no, I'm not interested in that model of care at all so that yeah. you know. If you can't find an LMC midwife, you, there are always midwives through the hospital and they are fabulous. Mm. If you have a baby through the hospital, it's going to be amazing. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's just get in early and here, find your midwife and word of mouth. It's always cool. a good way. Awesome. Mm. Good to know. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, Can you talk to us about the importance of good antenatal care? Yeah, so in my job, it's really important that you have good antenatal care. We know that the LMC system is the gold standard of care. We know that we have better rates of stillbirth, adverse outcomes, postnatal depression, birth trauma, if you have an LMC midwife. Um, LMC midwives are really essential in health promotion, health education, and it's really good if they start you on that path and that you can keep going and looking up podcasts and books and, and you know, researching things yourself as well um, to make sure that you have the best experience possible. But your LMC midwife is there to advocate for you. She's there to make sure that you and your baby are safe. So it's really important having that good relationship with your midwife and having good antenatal care to ensure the best outcome for you and your baby. Yeah. That's amazing. And for both of you, so as an LMC and a poor midwife, um, what would you say the biggest challenges are at the moment or just even midwives in general? So cause definitely staffing. Um, so there's not enough midwives in the hospital and there's not enough midwives graduating from university as well. Um, and I think that links back to how difficult the degree is and how poorly the students, you know, that you don't get paid for it. You're on core 24-7 studying for three to four years. It's exhausting. You've got, most of them have families. Like, it's really hard. So when I trained as a midwife, I think there are about... 200 in my class and when I graduated there were only 30 Um, and so that's 30 midwives at Auckland where are they going to go most of them went LMC so it's really just staffing is probably the biggest issue for core Um, like every shift we work there's normally like two or three availabilities it's yeah it's just staffing is exhausting and just the I think the complexity of care as well especially Auckland it's a tertiary unit we have the sickest woman coming through to us so you have more complex care you have shifts where you don't get a break you have poorly staffed units and it's just Mm. exhausting and I think that just grinds midwives down and you don't get you know support from management and there's poor retainment you don't get you know it's an amazing job but it Mm. is exhausting yeah, and LMC, I think our issues, are, I think, are very similar again to the core midwives. Yeah. 
we have a huge lack of funding, which is meaning that many LMCs are walking off the job because really you're on call 24-7, you are responsible for many people's lives and you're paid really poorly to do it. And the government have just released a new funding model, which is actually taking away from midwives. They keep claiming that it's increasing funding. It's not at all. It's actually taking away from every single midwife. It is not making our jobs easier. It's not making people want to come and work in the area as well. Like, why would you want to be on call 24-7 and, you know, work your guts out to then not be paid fairly? Like, if you tell people mm-hmm. what we do and then you tell them what we make, it's people are quite shocked to go, really, that's that's all you get for being on call. It's like, yep, that's it. Like there's, And, like, the lack of funding we have for certain things, like if we get called out in the middle of night, for someone who's bleeding, you don't get paid for that. If we work a public holiday, you don't get paid anything extra for that. If you work 21 hours in a row, you don't get paid anything extra for that. Like it's just, you look after twins, there's no extra money for that. So it's just the lack of respect and funding, I think, for LMCs that we have at the moment. It's not from the women. The women and the families are all very supportive, Mm. um, but it's from the government basically not really caring what we do and not really wanting to fund it. Yeah. So as an LMC, how do you get paid? Do you get paid per woman? Yeah, so basically you get a fee for their antenatal care, a fee for the birth, and a fee for the postnatal care. And it's all paid for by the government. We don't get to dictate, like if we're actually self-employed, like a plumber, you would be able to dictate how much you get paid. We don't get to decide that, so it's basically written out for us. Um, we've been fighting for years for pay equity and for a proper pay rise and they basically introduced a new model said this is what it's going to be you don't get a choice and um, it's actually actually at the detriment of most uh, LMC midwives such a shame yeah it just seems so backwards when we now know how important those first thousand days are yeah so you think Mm. that you should be wrapping around as much support as possible to mothers and babies in this in that period and you see a huge part of that yeah absolutely it, it needs to be funded properly because it could be and it is when it's doing when we're doing it well it is the best system in the world we know yeah. it's the best system in the world and we know it can save lives and we know that people have the best outcomes with it yet we're not getting the funding for it mm. so mm-hmm. we so what can what can we do to support this amazing midwifery model of care and our lovely midwives? I think from the LMC perspective and, and from CORE as well, it's you, we need everyone yeah, to too. make noise. We need people to write letters to the MP, to health ministers, to um, you know, to your local news, to your DHB, saying what an amazing system it is, mm-hmm. saying what an amazing time you had in the hospital, talking about what your midwife did and why it was so important to you is so important for us to keep our system going. So we just need the support and we need to make noise. And that's really what our Instagram is about. We need to show what we do to everybody so that people support us, not just people who are giving birth, but the general public as well to show them how hard we work and why it's so important that we have our system. Yeah, I think what Carly and I find boggling as well is that, you know, Every, most people have a midwife, we're the main maternity care providers of New Zealand, but no one knows what we do. There's no, you know, advertising or like information mm. out there for people about a midwife. Like people, when they came to me for a booking, they'd be like, oh, I didn't even know what you were, what you did. I never mm. knew about it. I have to admit, I was like mm. that before getting pregnant with my first. I just had absolutely no idea what a midwife even mm. did. Now, yeah, I, honestly, I take my hats off to you guys. Yeah, I think especially in the hospital mm. situation as well, where people think that actually the doctors do everything. The doctors don't do everything. Yeah. And 90% yeah. of the time, they've maybe done one, two, three years yeah. of, of work. And we've been there 15 mm. years going, mm. yeah, I'm going to tell you mm. what you're going to need to do mm. here. So, yeah. you know, I, I think there's yeah. this misconception that we're just the the helpers to the doctors and, and we don't know anything and we're not medically trained. When actually we're very medically trained. We're health professionals mm. and therefore we should be treated as such. Mm. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, what is a common misconception about what you do? Um, definitely that we're hippies um, <laughs> and we just like hold babies and like wave our little essential oils in the air and we're not medically yeah. trained would yeah. be a big one. That's the massive one, <laughs> yeah. I think, that we're not health mm. professionals, that we are just these hippies that yeah. kumbaya at a home birth and that we want everyone to have vaginal births <laughs> with no um, epidurals and no caesareans, mm. which is not the case. There are plenty of home birth midwives who are mm. very medically mm. minded. So we don't want to be put in that box that 
we are not health professionals. Like we are health professionals. We are medically minded. We yeah. we want the healthiest birth for mums and babies. And that doesn't matter if that's an elective cesarean, forceps, an epidural, a water mm-hmm. birth, a home birth. It's about what is the best for you and your baby. And that's what midwives roles are. And it, it's a big mm-hmm. mis- misconception that we um, yeah we just want one type of birth and that's it. And that's all we support because that's yeah. not the case. Mm. Why do you think it is that that people view midwives in that way? I think because back in the day it was more like that. Uh, obviously, before yeah. we had LMC um, yeah. and things, there was a lot of midwifery that was home birth. You know, in the mm-hmm. very it was medieval times, Georgina, I think it would have been. Um, it, it was you know midwives <laughs> were witches, and so it just stems from that that we are just yeah. all witches, and that we wanted to sit round and stir the pot mm. and whatnot, but. You know, now there's a degree. Yeah. It's a four in Auckland. It's a four-year yes. degree you have to complete to be able to do this job, and then a year of postgrad um, monitoring and mentorship as well. And then we also, you know, I've done my postgrad certificate in complex care. So we and there's like postgrad, there's diplomas, there's doctorates. You know, there's all the stuff we do. So um, yeah. yeah, I think that's the case. And you know, if you talk to your mums and things, it was like yes, the doctor used to run things back in the sixties, seventies, and eighties, and the midwives were just there and and gave assistance. But actually, now it's very much medical um, midwifery led. Sorry, mm. not medically led, midwifery yeah. led. Um, and the doctors really they support that. They want us to lead the way and call them in if there's yeah. a problem. But they are happy for us to take the lead. Yeah, mm. <laughs> I was just interested in the whole ladder of intervention. And would you say, obviously, because at hospital you have higher risk women, but would you say that women who are on a kind of similar standing risk wise, do you think that the ladder of intervention happens to a lesser extent, like extent in the birth care model? Yeah, absolutely. We know that women who healthy, low risk women who birth at a hospital do have higher rates of intervention than women who are healthy, low risk birthing at home or at a birthing unit. Um, but mm-hmm. also you have to birth where you feel comfortable. There are some women oh, who are totally. low risk and go, no, birthing centers are not for me. And you go, absolutely. Then birth at a hospital. And there's other women who go, I am not comfortable in a hospital. Birth me at home, birth me at a birthing unit. And we go, absolutely, if you're low risk. But there is all mm. the research does say, if you are a low risk, healthy mm. person, that birthing at a birthing unit or at home is um, will lower your risk of interventions. Mm, that's so interesting, mm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. So obviously, there's quite a few old wives' tales <laughs> on how to how to bring on labour. <laughs> Catherine and I both went ten days over with our second, didn't we? So wow. tried all the tr- all the tricks in the book. What what do you think of them? And which ones work? Oh. Yeah, let us know. <laughs> Tell us. <laughs> Carly loves a suppository. <laughs> I think the majority of them are very safe to do, so there's no harm in doing them. I personally tell my ladies that I love the um, antenatal colostrum expressing or harvesting. I love evening mm. primrose oil, and I like mm. acupuncture. And then the rest of them, like the raspberry leaf tea, curb walking, spinning babies, I think are great. They're not going to hurt you or your baby. It gives you something to focus on while you're waiting. Mm-hmm. So it's not a bad thing to do. But always check with your midwife yeah. before you try and do any of them just to make sure you are you know in the right space to be doing them or if it's a safe one to do yeah 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 and put the castor oil away no castor we're gonna say castor oil is bad there is no castor oil allowed i also feel like no um, hot curry hot curry and i also feel like sex is a really common one Oh, yeah, sex. Yeah, yeah, people swear by it. It's really good. It's the prostaglandin in the semen. It's similar to the prostaglandin mm. you use for induction. So it's quite a good yeah. one, and that one. And orgasm releases oxytocin, which yeah. you know, is what you contract with. Mm. So it needs to yeah. be good. Yeah. <laughs> it has to be proper sex. Yeah, it needs to be good. He needs to make yeah. an effort. <laughs> I mean, if you've carried a baby that long, you need a bit of effort. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. You deserve it. <laughs> um, something that we've seen so much more about recently on social media is birth trauma. And we were just wondering, do you think there is an increase in birth trauma in recent years? Or do you think that it's just more widely reported now and people feel more, um, they just feel more confident talking about it and more open about it now? Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting because birth trauma is different for every person. What could be a beautiful birth for one person could be traumatic for the next person. So it's, I think definitely it's becoming um, more spoken about because... 
um, we're getting you know more social media people are getting more open to discussing their births because um, they would like other people to hear about it um, I'm not sure if it's happening more often but I definitely think it's spoken about more and I think that's really really positive that people are talking about it because you know we don't want people hiding away saying that oh I you know I had a terrible time but I don't want to talk about it because I don't want people to judge me and there's more than one person that's probably feeling that way so um, yeah I do think it's spoken about more and I I do think that's really super important Mm. Yeah. And are you two personally seeing far more women discussing their birth trauma with you? And would you recommend there's any route to take with people who might be struggling? To be honest, and that's, it's not me tooting my horn, but not many of my ladies are saying their births were traumatic, but it might not come out till later on with them. Um, so there's definitely, um, Georgina I know is amazing at this and I'm trying to be better, but Georgina is the queen of debriefing and like making sure that she's worked through with her woman and with my woman if she's done my birth, um, making sure that they've talked about it, making sure that they've gone through every aspect of it. And I think that's super important, especially as an LMC, we get a really special opportunity to do that where I can go, like, are there any questions that you have about your birth? Is there any concerns, c- complaints, you know, questions about anything? I think that's probably where the core midwives are a little bit more stuck. You might want to talk about that, Georgina. Definitely, yeah, because you never see the woman again. So you always wonder, like, how do they feel? Do they want to talk about it? Um, so what I've started doing a lot as core is I've been like, you know, if you ever want to talk about it, I do work at the hostel. You can just call up and I'm more than happy to talk mm. to you. Um, I'm more than happy to you can get my work number if you wanted to chat about your birth. Um, and I think also debriefing of the partners is quite important because a woman might not find it horrific and then her partner finds it incredibly traumatizing so and it might be like five weeks six weeks down the track or a year down the track so I think keeping all your notes and going through the notes with them and explaining why you did that or what you did and the reasons behind it is always really Mm. helpful um the the debrief is vital so obvious that you care so much like that's honestly incredible that you're happy for people to ring you at a later date and discuss it Mm. that's yeah that's amazing yeah that's great I think for my first birth, it took me a couple of months to realize that I actually was a little bit traumatized Mm. from it. And I didn't talk to anyone other than friends. And my midwife in my recent pregnancy, she sat me down and got my birth notes out. And we like really unpacked Mm. my last birth because it was causing me a little bit of anxiety around my coming birth. So, yes, I think it's really important for people to... Absolutely. And it's often, you know, as a midwife in doing LMC, I don't um, hear about birth trauma. If I take on a client who I haven't had before and then they have to unpack with me, it can be really tricky because I don't have the notes, especially if they're from a different area. I don't have the notes. I can't read the notes. I have to go with what they tell me. And then all I can do is give them the reassurance that we're going to try and make it better this time round. But it's being very Mm. open to hearing it. And yeah. Midwives are very good at, at taking mm. feedback, I think. And so being really open with your midwife and saying, hey, I didn't enjoy this or this has really upset me so that they can try and explain, mm. try yeah. and um, help, you know, and put you into touch with the right people if you do need further counselling. Because maternal mental health are, are there for up to a year after you've had your baby. So we can mm. do referrals at any point to them. Okay. Your GP can. There's a lot of birth trauma yeah. um coaches and and people that you can talk to as well to go through these things but like Georgina said it's just being available Mm. it's just making Mm. yourself available Mm. at any point yeah that if you need to talk about it I'm here to talk about it yeah that's really good to know about eternal mental health being available Mm. a year afterwards because I think a lot of people think when it's been six weeks and you've been discharged that that's it like you could go to your doctor and things but um Mm good to know for people as well yeah so um can you tell us about the postnatal period so your roles as or your role Georgina as a core midwife in the first few hours and then Carly yours as a LMC in the first few weeks Uh so as core uh, most of the time the women are with you just for the first two hours so it's just the first two hour postnatal period and they get sent off to other Mm -hmm. locations um so usually it's all you know, assessing the transition of the baby. Is the baby doing okay? What's the baby looking like as it transitions from, you know, fetal to neonatal? Um, and it's looking at the mum. Is she okay hemodynamically? What are her observations like? Is she bleeding? Is she recovering okay? Does she need, you know, all the little refreshments and food, getting her up to the shower, helping her go to the toilet, making sure she's got a good pain relief mm-hmm. on board? Um, 
Yeah, it's just the basic two-hour period. It's quite an intense two hours because it's all your suturing, your drugs, your cleaning up of the room, and just making sure that they're both okay and they're bonding um, in those two hours of just basically like skin to skin and just spending the time as a family. So you try to leave them uninterrupted as much as possible because you don't want to be that annoying person that's just jumping in all the time. But you, yeah, you're trying to like <laughs> monitor them the whole time as well and then helping them transition to the next stage. That's quite a lot for two hours, isn't it? <laughs> it's, yeah, I get really stressed out. Carly and I like have got it down together when we work together, but when you're on your own, you're just like, oh my God, watching the yeah. clock. <laughs> and do they try and keep the same core midwife? that's monitoring that that person yeah. for two hours mm-hmm. yeah so normally you're with the same person for the, your full shift and sometimes you have to jump and change a little bit but normally you do the birth with the same person you stay mm. with them the whole time is it really hard if you are with someone and then your shift yeah. ends i get really and attached you kind of finished. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's all like you call the lmc and you had like a really good relationship and i'm like i'll see you later <laughs> it's really Aww. sad or like I've had to teach myself to leave like you know someone's pushing and then your shift finishes and you're like it's really hard and you I had to make myself leave otherwise I'll just stay and it's just you can't do that you don't yeah yeah you have to go how incredible that you see babies being born every day yeah blows my mind and you just go home and have dinner (laughs) yeah so what about you Carly what's the postnatal period look like so obviously I deliver the baby I do basically what Georgina does postnatally as well um, transitioning them skin to skin the golden hour all those good things and then my role is more the transitioning from not parents to parents so ensuring that um, feeding's going well whether that's breastfeeding bottle feeding combination feeding making sure there's bonding watching depression rates like uh, you know debriefing rebirths um you know, helping them transition with parenthood, showing them mother crafts and baby crafts and, and helping them with, you know, settling, burping, sleeping, trying to get them prepared as much as I can for the first four to six weeks so that when I do finish at six weeks that they're, I've prepared them as much as I can. Because once I'm gone, they have Plunkett, they've got Plunkett line, but, you know, it's not getting weekly checkups like they do with their midwife. So, yeah, it's just really um, trying to ensure the best I can for them and that they are safe and that they feel listened to and I give them as much education as I possibly can give them in the short time I have them. Mm. Yeah. It's so important because it's the biggest transition of your life, isn't mm. it, going from, from non-parent mm. to parent? Yeah. I don't think there's anything that can physically, mentally, emotionally prepare you for it. And I, I mean, I had been a midwife for seven years before I had my daughter eight years ago. And so I thought, I'm going to nail this. Like, I know exactly what I'm doing. I'd been a maternity nurse for two and a half years in the UK. I knew all about babies. I knew all about labor. Like, I thought I was going to be absolutely amazing. And I still struggled like every other first-time mum. And the best thing about my midwife is that she treated me like every other first-time mum and gave me all the same information. The midwives and nurses at the birthing unit treated me exactly the same way. Like, I had no idea what I was doing. You know, and I think that's really important um, that we just treat people with kindness and respect and give them as much help as we can. But also, like, we have to also let them spread their wings and figure things out. Sometimes we can't baby mm-hmm. them and we have to say, look, this is what I can give you all the information. But some things you just have to try, try different options and see how it works for you and your baby. Yeah, definitely. And there's so much yeah. focus on yeah. leading up to the birth. And especially with your first, you're just mm. working towards the birth. And I know I didn't really think about what it would be like after mm. that. And I remember my, my husband and I sitting in the room after the birth. And about four hours later, the core midwife came in and was like, are you going to dress your baby? <laughs> <laughs> we were like, what? Is this what happens? How do we do that? Yeah. <laughs> we don't know what we're doing. That's exactly it. A lot of antenatal classes I know up here in Auckland are doing a little bit more focus on the postnatal period as well, not just the birth, because I think that's what we all expect antenatal classes to do is to focus on the birth and things. But now they're actually doing a lot more focus on postnatal and what you should expect and how to bath a baby and how to do all those bits and pieces, which I think is super important. And I think as well, I have Mm. seen there's like postnatal classes you can do like zero to six weeks and then six to 12 and then how Mm. to feed your baby and how to like start solid. So that's, I think, really super important too. Mm. Do you think there is enough support for mums in that postnatal period or do you think there's still a lot more that needs to be done? Oh, so much more that can be done. So much more. We are lacking so much for support for women and for parents and just the... Just the little things like, you know, 
we don't have the same kind of family dynamics that we did back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, where your grandparents would have been there to help you every step of the way. You know, everybody's working full time. People can't take time off work just to, you know, stay home and help new mums and things anymore. So there's things, little things like, you know, in Amsterdam, I've learned this from one of my clients, um, you get like a, a Karatani nurse that comes to your house for your first week from like nine to five and helps you do everything for the first mm-hmm. week of your baby's Amazing. life. And then you still have a midwife come and check on you as well. And there's pediatrician mm-hmm. if you need it as well. Just little things like that. Or like even when you've got a baby that's really unsettled, we don't have anything that's free, like osteo, um, keratani nurses, mm. things like that, that are really beneficial to baby. None of those things are free in New Zealand. So mm. you have to actually have money to be able to do these things, which is not mm. like a lot of new parents don't have a spare $100 to go spend on an osteo or yeah, no. you know, a spare $250 to spend on an, a keratani mm. nurse for a night. So there definitely could be more support out in the community. I think as well, Georgina will probably agree with me, there needs to be more support for mums that they're not getting booted out of the hospital yeah. as quickly or out of the birthing units as quickly you know give yeah. the mums that need the longer stays the opportunity to stay longer yeah yeah and what about in terms of like women's health physio and oh. things like that oh my goodness that's the yeah uh, it's so yeah. important like i don't understand why we're not funding mm. this but I mean, it's fabulous that ACC are now going to cover if yeah, you had an injury. Amazing. So amazing. Amazing. But what about for the women who haven't necessarily had mm. an injury, but things obviously shift and change yeah. down there after you've had a baby. Mm. So it should be free for every woman, I think, to have at least mm. one session with a physio, at least one session with an osteo, at least one session with a Karatani nurse of sorts to, you know, really give you the confidence and get your, your life back, mm. you know, and your body back. Say someone was listening to this who thought they really were struggling in that postnatal period, whether it's mentally or physically, what would you recommend they did or what should they say to that LMC? Because I think it's quite scary. It'd be quite scary saying Mm. that to somebody out loud, wouldn't it? I just think just being honest and just jumping straight into it. Like, and even just sending a text, like before the midwife gets there, if you don't want to say it out loud, but just Mm. be like, I'm not okay. And like, we will then just jump straight in, but we just need to know so we can help you. Mm. Yeah, it yeah. must be a fine line, is it, between just kind of that baby mm. blues and then if it's something more serious? Definitely. How do yeah. you like how do you pick up on the difference with that? I often tell the husbands or the partners about it first. So mm. in the first couple of days I'll say, like we talk about the baby blues and things, but I'll say if this is bordering on, I talk about, you know, if you, if you're more sad than you are happy, if you don't see the joy in life, things like that speak up, talk to me, talk to your husband, talk to your partner. Um, But I say the husbands and the partners, you often will find that they will pick up on it before the mums do. And they Mm. will go, oh, she's not good. And I say to them, you have my number. You can text me on the sly and say, I don't think she's okay. And then I can come in and go, right, we're going to talk about this. I don't have to dob the husband (laughs) or the partner in and say, he texted me or she texted me. I just say, hey, let's talk about this. I don't like, and we'll go into it Mm. deeper there. So yeah, I think that's it's it is. It's just be honest. Send a text message. Just say I'm not okay, and then we can go into it deeper and get you the right supports. It is tricky though because there are um, a huge lack of supports. Maternal mental health are very underfunded yeah. as well, and so getting people into that is very difficult. In certain areas of Auckland, in particular, you can get counselling sessions, and in certain areas, you can't. So it's like it's very hard to know whether or not we can get much for you, but we can do our best and, and, and really advocate for you to get what you need if you need it. And is postnatal depression, is that really common? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's very, very common. Yeah. I think that's where the continuity of care model definitely benefits. Whereas, you know, when you're in LMC, you know your woman, you've been with them for so long that you can honestly tell as soon as there's a difference. You go to their house and you just look at them and you think something's not right. Whereas as core, mm. I, if I was doing postnatals, I would see a different woman every day. I don't have that follow-up. And so mm. that makes it, I think, harder for the woman to engage with me as well. They can't say to a complete random, I'm not okay. Mm. And as like a core midwife, when they do their hospital visits, they've not been mm. at the birth. So they don't know about the birth if it was a bit more traumatic because people will go, oh, I'm totally mm. fine. But they actually don't know that, you know, it's actually been a really hard time for them and for the whole family, you know. So definitely one of the perks of LMC is that we get to know our woman really really well that trust Mm. yeah we'll start with you Carly what would you say your favorite kind of midwife moment has been 
I mean, it's probably hard to pick one. <laughs> there's so many. Um, my favorite, I guess it's like for me now that I'm at LMC, it's actually the whole journey. It's, it's, I'm really, really lucky. I don't feel like I work because I love my job. I actually mm. am madly in love with it. So it doesn't feel like a job. So even just the little things like watching people grow a bump and then birth their babies and then turning into parents, it's like my favorite part of my job. And then going, I was a part of it. I got to be a part of this amazing journey. That's just, it's just such a special moment for me. I really love yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. And how about you, Georgina? Um, I'm a bit of a sap, so everything like makes me cry all the time. So probably <laughs> for me, it's like, you know, the moment just before a baby's born. So it's like vaginal or C-section, whatever. But, you know, the baby's about to come and you say to the woman, you're like, your baby's so close and like the look on their face. And it's just so exciting. Oh, yeah, they're like, thank God. Um, and then when the baby's born and the partners look at each other and they cry and they're so joyful and excited. And they're just like, oh, it makes me want to cry talking about it. But like just the oh. look on their face, it's just like, it's my favorite thing. I always look at them once the baby's born because I just love the reaction. Oh. <laughs> Such a special yeah. moment, isn't it? Like, yeah. You're seeing families being created yeah. and it's so special. Oh, yeah. gosh. That yeah, really amazing is. that you get to be mm. a part of that. That is so cool. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for sharing, both of you. It's we've all been so excited to talk to you because we we have all absolutely loved our own LMCs and midwives that we've come into contact with, haven't we? And so we're so excited to kind of delve into it further with you yeah. because we're big advocates for the midwifery model of care here that we have in New Zealand, and would love to do anything we could to help it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's amazing. It's an amazing career. And thanks for talking with us. Oh, thank you yeah, for coming I've, on. Yep. And if anyone has any questions, mm. we're more than happy to answer them. We're trying to get as many people involved in supporting us yep. and um, joining midwifery and, mm. and whatever we can do to make things better for birthing yep. people and their families. Awesome. Yeah. Where can our listeners find you on Instagram? What's your Instagram handle? It's just life of a Kiwi midwife. So you just tag Life of a Kiwi Midwife on Facebook and Instagram. And we've got a website that's coming out as well, which will be coming hopefully live by January. And it's just www.lifeofakiwimidwife.co.nz. Awesome. Okay, thanks so much for listening, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe on Apple or follow us on Spotify and if you could give us a rating. Next week, we're hearing from our very own Marley, who will be sharing her two birth stories with us. So we can't wait for you to hear that one. Mm. Thanks, guys. See ya. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.